to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Uh, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here at City on a Hill. Just want to welcome you today. I'm so glad uh, that you chose to worship with us this morning. And uh, this morning is a beautiful day. Thank you, Lily, for reading the scriptures. Um, at City on a Hill, we uh, read the scriptures and we say, this is the word of the Lord every week because we believe it is God's word. We believe it is authoritative. We believe it uh, has something for us to shape us and change us into who God wants us to be. And so I'm glad that you are here with us today. If you're a guest with us today, you will find a blue card in your seat. That's a connection card. And uh, just uh, fill that out. It gives us a couple ways to get connected with you. And we will uh, t- we'll follow up with you and uh, tell you a little, a little more about City on a Hill. Uh, but also for doing so, we will send you a $5 gift card to Third Cliff Bakery. Um, so Third Cliff is a bakery just around the corner. And in my opinion, um, the best pastries in the area. I am not a paid spokesperson, but I promise they're very good. So we will send that to you for visiting. And then also we'll send you an email with a list of charities. And if you'll just respond to that email, um, we will uh, uh, get, just tell us which one you want us to give to. We'll make a $5 donation in your name to that charity as a thank you for being here today. Uh, our values as a church are the gospel community and mission. The gospel means good news, that we were once separated from God. We once did not have a relationship with God, but now through the work of Jesus, we can. Uh, the, his life, death, and resurrection in our place. And if you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, you can be saved. And if you've not entered into that relationship with God, I'd love to talk with you about how to do so today after our service. Secondly, community is about relationships, which is what we are going to discuss today in our text. Um, We are made for relationship. We're made for uh, friendship with other people. And we do this through community groups. If you've not connected to a community group yet at City in a Hill, I'd love to invite you to do so. Sunday morning is fantastic. Uh, But when you get to know other people who will help you study the Bible, will help you uh, care for you and help you love and serve your neighbors, um, that's a life-giving thing. So I'd invite you to join into a community group. And then thirdly, mission. Mission, it means that good news should be told to other people. We tell other people the gospel uh, because of what Jesus has done for us and then love other people in Jesus's name because of how Jesus has served us. And so this week, uh, we have a mission team here from Parkwood Baptist Church. You may have noticed a few faces and heard a few Southern accents in the room, uh, a few extra ones at least. And uh, so they're here to serve us this week, joining us in the mission that God has called us to. So be sure to say hello to them. And there's a way you can spend some time with them this week. They're gonna be serving in our community and in fact, today, one of our announcements is um, we are having a block party today at Boston Housing Authority. And so uh, you'll see some information there, 125 South Street from 2.30 to 6.30. What the team is going to do is they're going to run the block party so that we can enjoy it. So what we're going to do is we're going to enjoy the block party and meet our neighbors and friends. And so well, we really want to invite you out. So please come, eat a hot dog, get some cotton candy, get a snow cone, get all three, um, and just uh, get to know some of our neighbors. This is a great way for us to engage people in our city. So we'll love for you to come 2.30 to 6.30. You don't have to stay the whole time, but definitely just drop in and say hello. For the kids, there's gonna be a bounce house. So parents, I just committed you. Um, uh, also, we uh, coming up this summer. We have Kids Summer Adventure. Uh, Kids Summer Adventure is a is a uh, is a, a week of studying the Bible, lots of fun and games for our kids. Uh, so for kids, uh, we'd love for you to be there for uh, first grade through uh, sixth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, fifth grade fifth grade. Um, uh, And then also we need volunteers. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that. Just scan that QR code to follow either to sign up or to volunteer for that. 
Uh, This morning, we're continuing in a four-week series coming out of Easter, uh, talking about how we can thrive in the city of Boston. How do we make it here? So typically at City on a Hill, we go through books of the Bible. We we just got out of a a long series uh, through Ephesians. We're going to jump into James in a couple of weeks. We'll go through Genesis starting in the fall. It's going to be a very long road. But sometimes we'll look at uh, some topics, and I think this is important for us. We need to figure out how we actually make it in a city like Boston. How do we actually live here? How do we thrive here? Because this is not always the easiest place to live. Um, Last week, we talked about how surviving in Boston, to thrive in Boston, you need to know why you're here. You need to know why you are in the city. Um, And and the reason is, it's because God placed you here. God providentially placed you in the city of Boston to help grow you, to help shape you, but also to use you for his mission. And I think as Christians, we need to really think this way about the city. We need to be intentional in the way we think about the city because our tendency is not to run toward hard things, but to run from them. And this is a city where it's not easy to live, it's expensive, it's cold, it's warmer other places. It is, I promise, I've been there. Um, It's less expensive, it it seems easier, but as, as God's people, we're called to go to hard places. And if we forget that God has brought us here for this reason, we will miss the very reason that God has for us. And as we talked about last week, when we seek the welfare of the city, God addresses our welfare and our thriving and our growth. And so as we seek first the kingdom of God, as we do these things, it's not like it's a genie, but we do so in such a way that as we follow God, our problems don't go away. But as we rightly order these things in our life, God tends to work them out. The next three weeks, we're going to be looking at different aspects of life in the city, some practical steps of how we can actually thrive here. And one of those ways we're going to do that is today we're going to be looking at relationships. How do you and I thrive relationally in a city like Boston? And for some of you, whether you grew up here or whether you moved to Boston, you may think it would be easy to meet people. You would think, man, there's a lot of people here. There's so many people in Boston. And even though Boston itself is not a very large city and compared to scale to like New York or LA or Chicago, um, there's so much population density. There's people everywhere. And so we thought, you may have thought, man, surely I would make friends here. Surely I would maybe meet someone here, but maybe that's not been your experience. The first thing we need to dig into a little bit today is the problem of loneliness, and particularly the problem of loneliness in a place like Boston. What we find often in large cities is that it can feel really, really lonely. Has anybody experienced that? You don't have to raise your hand. One of the one person did. We've all experienced it. We've experienced this profound sense of loneliness. And when you, when you think about it, you maybe saw some heads nod and some hands raised. You may have felt a sense of relief. You may have thought for a minute, well, may, maybe I'm not the only one who's felt lonely in this really busy city. But how is it possible to be lonely in a place where there's a ton of people? There are entire organizations that are devoted to the problem of loneliness, and they've looked at this, and they've looked at the way that that cities kind of tend to kind of promote that type of loneliness, and there are several reasons that are given. One is transience. We've talked a lot about that as a church, how the fact that people move a lot really is difficult for building these long-term relationships. Uh, People move here for jobs, they move here for school, and then oftentimes people are gone. And because of that, you know, We're a city of transplants. We're a city where we have a lot of transplants in this city. I had a friend who wanted to come a couple years ago and he wanted to see the city of Boston and he wanted to go to Southie, mostly because he had seen The Departed. And he wanted to make sure that Southie was like The Departed and he sees this guy running with a sweater tied around his neck. And I'm like, that's just Southie now. I think people move in and out of the city. 
People are constantly moving. Sam Alberry said that he lives in a very transient city. He said every, he said every time it's like a friend, a friend moves, it's kind of like when Voldemort would give a piece of himself for a horcrux. I know that's like the nerdiest example I've ever given, but it's like a little piece of yourself is given away every time a friend moves. It's hard to make friends. The second is technology. We're constantly looking at our phones. We can get most of life delivered to our door. I remember when our, when our youngest daughter was little, we, we, I, got my, I got my wife a grocery delivery one year for Mother's Day. And at two years old, they went into a grocery store and she said, what is this place? There's food here. She realized she had never been into a grocery store before. Many of you have not been at a grocery store for a very long time. You can get food delivered. You can get anything you want delivered. And what happens through that is we actually miss some of the natural social interactions that happen around these places. Another is what's called negative politeness. No one here says hello to each other, right? You're weird if you say hello to someone on the sidewalk. Well, we think we're being polite. And lastly, work-life balance. Our, our lives are so out of whack. We work so hard and so much to try to make it. And all of these are factors that contribute to a feeling of loneliness. But what really leads to loneliness is disappointment, Susan Wondering Metz is a, is a counselor who works in this area, and she says that loneliness begins with disappointment. It's a failure to belong the way you, we want to, to connect with others securely enough to exchange opinions, jokes, interests, concerns, secrets, all the things we, that, uh, we naturally fall into when we're with close friends. It can be really hard to find those types of friendships here. And that's why I think that the church can be like an oasis in a dry place. That's why I believe the church can be a, a symbol of stability in a city where people can come and find real friendships. And so today we're gonna to be looking at this idea through Ecclesiastes chapter four. And if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter four, we're gonna bump up a couple verses before our reading. You see this word in verse seven, vanity. Say that with me, vanity. The word vanity we see here over and over and over throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and it literally means vapor. And what's being said here is that if certain things are not right in your life, if certain things are not in place in your life, life can feel meaningless. Life can feel like it lacks purpose. It can feel pointless. And if you've never read Ecclesiastes or you've never read the Bible, you might read through this the first time and go, man, something is wrong with this guy. This guy needs to stop listening to the emo music. The guy needs a hug. Something is wrong with him. Well, this guy is Solomon. Solomon was a king of Israel. And through the text, he refers to himself as the preacher or the teacher. And this is someone who has everything. He's the king of Israel. He has everything you could possibly imagine in the world. And he makes these observations on life. And what he's saying is that you can have everything, but if you realize, he realizes that if you're lonely, or, or, or you feel left out, life can certainly feel meaningless. A sociologist several years ago had a classroom uh, where everyone in the classroom but one person was in on the joke. And what they would do is they were throwing a ball around the class. They were throwing the ball around the class and they would never pass to this one person. And the person kept asking and calling for the ball. And eventually the person just kind of stopped expecting it. Eventually, she just stopped asking for the ball. And afterward, when they finally let her in on the secret, she said, I really started to feel like there was no point in being here. And maybe that's you. Maybe in, in the city, you've given up on the possibility of real deep friendship. You've given up on the possibility of, of relationships. 
And this can come out in one of two ways. This can come out in despair, where you just despair life itself and you're like, there's just no possibility. Or it can come out in bitterness, a deep-rooted bitterness that just taints everything and everyone that you come into contact with. And so today, we're really gonna dig in on, relate, on friendship and, and, and this does apply to romantic relationships. We're gonna dig in on friendship more than we are dating because and that's a completely different sermon because I do believe that marriage and singleness are both equal and valid callings. We believe that here as a church. And I believe that God equips you for either one that he calls you to. We were at a, a conference yesterday on, on gender and sexuality and they, they were talking about this. The, uh, Rachel Gilson, who led the conference, talked about this idea that in fact, in the Bible, um, singleness in 1 Corinthians is kind of like the varsity team. That's the one that's lifted up and that, that uh, marriage is like JV. And, and these are equally valid callings. But at their root, friendship is what you need to have a good relationship. And so I think what we take from learning to be good friends can apply to that as well. But the promise for all of us is, is, is friendship. We may not all be promised marriage. We may not all be single, but all of us can have intimate friendships. And so today, if you've closed yourself off from the idea of friendship, I pray that God would open your heart to hear this. So let's, let's dig in a little bit on friendship today. The first thing we're gonna look at are the benefits of friendship. If life alone by yourself can feel meaningless, it means that good friends can make life feel like it has meaning. None of us are meant to be alone. Look here at verse nine. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. It says that two are better than one. Now, if you've read the Bible, that wording sounds familiar. You look back at Genesis chapter two, we see Adam at the very beginning and God said, it is not good that you would be alone. Now that is applying to Adam and Eve, but it also I think applies to all human relationships. It is not good that you and I would be alone relationally. We are meant to be with other people. God wired us this way to have Friendship, And if you look at verses eight through 11, you see words like toil. And what we see is we see that it doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle if you have friends. You're still going to experience toil. You still might fall. You, you still might get cold. You still might experience attack. And what it tells us is that friendship is not the magic bullet. Having a relationship is not the fix-all for all of your problems. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna struggle again. It doesn't mean you're never gonna mess up again. It doesn't mean that you're never gonna feel lonely. It just means that you won't be alone when you do. God has given us the joy of friendship that two are better than one. And we see the, the, the sadness of not having friends. Verse 10, in the very middle, it says, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. The word woe there is judgment language. It's a, it's a type of language that's, that's a warning language, not saying necessarily that someone did something wrong, but this is what life will look like if you don't have these types of friendships. What's being said here is that it, these things could be avoided. It doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to be alone when you fall. You may not be able to avoid the struggle, but you can avoid the sadness of isolation. And so we see friendship as a gift from God that he gives us, meaning that through the ups and downs of life, people can be with you who are for you and with you. In the ancient world, they put friendship up on a pedestal in such a way that they considered it to be the highest and purest form of love. And in, in seeing this, we see that this is the type of friendship we all want. Sam Alberry says that friends like this are, are people who let you into the secret parts of their life, 
where, where, where we struggle, where, what delights us, what, what tempts us. And these are the types of friends that can make even the mundane stuff of life meaningful. We can make our toils and our struggles impactful. Look, my best memories with some of my friends are not because we did anything special. It's because, we di- it's because of who we did it with. It's who we were spending time with. Good friends make life worth it. And we see this when it comes to our toil. The word toil in verse nine is like a day's work. It's like just normal life that you're all, we're all trying to get through. And the word reward in verse nine is our wage. So the idea here is if you're going it alone, you're trying to do a two or three person job by yourself. That's why on, on the Ikea packaging, there are two Swedish people trying to lift. It means we need two people or three people in a friendship. One of the benefits we see from friendship is that you don't have to go it alone. There's always someone there to pick you up when you fall. The wording in verse 10 literally means to fall into a hole. Now, if you were like me growing up, my friends would laugh at you first when you fell and then pick you up out of the hole. Um, I was, uh, back in college, I had some friends who we just, our, our love language was, was sarcasm and we would just dig on each other all the time. I don't think that's the healthiest type of friendship, but that's what we would do. And uh, we, we all went out one night and played disc golf. You ever played disc golf? It's frisbee golf. We all went out in the middle of the night to play in the dark to play disc golf. Now, not real smart with a very hard piece of plastic throwing it in the middle of the night. So we go out in this big open field we're playing. One of my friends, Matt, not Matt Waldrop, is walking along the side. He'd thrown a bad shot. Another friend throws and we hear, look out. Matt turns around and catches it right between the eyes, does a complete backflip and lands on, like, on his face. I first laugh at him and then say, are you okay? So we pick him up out of the hole. Good friends don't do that. Good friends will pick you up when you fall. We need somebody when it gets hard. We need someone who we can look to when things get tough. And we live in a city that is not made for having a bad day. We, we live in a city where you walk out of your apartment or out of your house on Monday morning and nobody cares that you just got a bad text message with bad news. We live in a city where you get onto the train or you're stuck in traffic and nobody cares that you're distracted because you're carrying shame or or sorrow or guilt or that you're feeling lonely. They just wanna get where they need to go to. We live in a city where you go into your workplace and no one is really all that concerned with how you're doing emotionally or mentally because you have a job to do. But a friend is someone who draws near when stuff gets bad. A friend is someone who, when you fall, they stoop down and they pick you up and they join you in the hole because they've been there before too. This is the purest picture of love because it's completely voluntary. You choose your friends. And this is why I think we see Jesus referred to as the friend of sinners, that he chose to be our friend and he chose to come step down into our hole and pull us out. This is why I think Christians should be the best friends that anybody could possibly have because we've experienced this type of friendship in Jesus. The second benefit of friendship is the warmth and the intimacy that come with friendship. The words lie together in verse 11 are are not sexual language. This is not romantic language, but this is the idea of two travelers sleeping near one another to keep each other warm. So if you've ever been camping in a tent, the closer you are, the more warmth there is. And I think this is the part of friendship that we're missing the most 
in the West, we're missing the most in America, is this idea of intimacy in our friendship. I saw a, um, a, uh, a study the other day that said the men between the ages of 35 and 50, who I think most of us have the like, emotional depth of a teaspoon, had, it was like overwhelmingly had no friends, no one that they can consider. I think it was like over 65%. So they couldn't think of a single person they could call a friend. And I think it's because that warmth and the intimacy is missing. And I think this is just universal for a lot of our friendships. And I, I don't know if it's, if it's just, we're so focused on productivity or we're so individualistic, but I think a large part of it is the fact that we just don't know how to slow down and make friends. We don't know how to do things slowly. We don't know how to open up and choose to allow warmth to be built in our friendships. I talked about this early on in our core group as a church. Uh, we've been in existence for a, about a year and a half. We started meeting online during the middle of the pandemic. We could meet some of you who were there in those early days. You like were you were suffering saints. Um, you were there. We could, we could meet in person. We had to watch Matt on the screen. We couldn't sing. We're masked up. But I talked a lot with our core group. Our core group. I said, look, I said, it's like we're building a fire. And you start building a fire by putting kindling on the fire, just little twigs and little pieces of paper. And it felt like for a long time, that's all we were doing. And eventually you get to add larger logs. I think, of, I think what many of us imagine friendship like is we just put a bunch of logs and throw gasoline on the fire. That's not how friendship works. It's putting kindling on the fire. And then as, through repeat interaction, we get to add larger sticks. And before you know it, you start to feel the warmth of that friendship. There's warmth in our friendship. The third benefit is protection. When we first moved to Boston, I thought it was the weirdest thing that like 10 and 12 year olds rode the train. I, was, I just didn't get it. Now my kids go everywhere on the train, they jump on the bus, they're all over the city. And when one of them asked me to go somewhere, I'm like, well, take, can you take one of your sisters? And they say, yes, but we do this because there's just safety in numbers. We're not meant to fight through life alone. Verse 12, verse 12, we see when life comes at us that we have this assailant who's coming at the person. You need friends. Now, for some of you, you might be really strong and you can face most stuff by yourself. You, you might be strong enough to face most things. Maybe you have a really, you just really broad emotional bandwidth. But is there, is there nothing you can't face? It says here that two are much better, that two are better, that two will withstand the attacks of life, and that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We see these dynamics when we're together, and we, when I think about this, I, I actually worked out a ton this week. I, I worked out four times this week, twice in one day, and I'm limping because I'm old. And I'm, I'm limping, so you may be watching me noticing, right? and my wife, we were walking around downtown yesterday, and I'm thinking about this sermon, and I'm limping as I'm walking downtown, and I'm imagining myself in this text, and I said, you know what? If I was limping in the old world, I would be a target. And here's the, here's the problem with going about life on your own. You can never limp. You can never struggle. You can never look vulnerable because you're a target. But the joy of having other people around you is it's okay when you have a bad day because you have other people who will lift you up and carry your burdens with you. You'll have people like the four friends who took their friend to Jesus to be healed because that's what good friends do. They take us when we're hurting to Jesus to be healed. And when we see this, the more friends we have, the more joy we can experience. There's something about the group dynamics you see here in verse 12 that two, three seems to be better even than two. 
Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about how he had these two best friends uh, when he was growing up, and one of those friends passed away. And he talked about how he said he was, he was mourning over it, but he said, maybe the one benefit from this is actually that I'm going to get more of my friend. But what he realized is he actually was gonna get less because there was something that that other person brought out in his friend that he could never do. He could never experience, and that was gone forever. Community makes our individual friendships better. And I really think this is why we need community groups because there's just something about that group dynamic that draws us closer to each other. Now, you might be hearing all of this and you might be thinking, man, all that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. That's just not been my experience with friends. Maybe you've not experienced the the warmth of friendship. Maybe you've not experienced the protection of friendship. Maybe you've not experienced having somebody who's there for you when you fall. And so I wanna talk a little bit about the barriers to friendship, the things that keep us from engaging in these types of friendships. Tim Keller talks about how friendship requires two things. It requires transparency and it requires constancy. So transparency is kind of this openness, this open countenance. I have a really bad habit, by the way, of crossing my arms when I'm talking to people uh, and also having this look on my face like I don't like you. If I ever do that to you, I promise I like you. I have to remind my face sometimes to look like I'm enjoying the conversation. I struggle with that. Some of us really struggle with being transparent in our, 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 our friendships. The other part is constancy, which I believe is consistency over time, and living in Boston makes both of those really, really hard. It's really hard to want to be transparent with people. It's really hard to find consistency in time in our schedules. And I think there are a few things unique to the city that, that contribute to this. One is our schedules. Our schedules become a barrier to real and deep life-giving friendship because what's your default when someone asks how you're doing? I'm busy. I'm just busy. I'm just so busy, busy with work. We wear busyness like it's a badge of honor. It's like a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout badge. We wear it like because we think busyness means important. But look at verse eight. We see a warning to the constantly busy person. It says in verse eight that there's this one person who has no, uh, no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. This is a person who worked so much and their schedule was so busy that they had no time for anyone. And what they began to realize is, why am I working so hard? Why am I so busy when I have nobody to share it with? Look, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, and I pray it doesn't happen, your office will send a company-wide email and clean out your desk by Friday. It's just reality. We work so, so hard yet we miss some of the relationships that we could have with people. And look, we're all busy. We're all busy. We get it. And John Mulaney, who's a stand-up comedian, talks about the reality of trying to make friendships in adulthood. And he says, all these pop songs are just garbage. He said, these pop songs are like, it's all about tonight because we only have tonight. He said, no. He said, that's not adulthood. We're like, oh, you're busy Tuesday. Well, how about next week? Okay, well, what about six months from now? That is adulthood because we're always so, so busy. But it's about our priorities. What if we made room in our lives and in our schedules to build friendships? What if we made them a priority? Because this is a priority issue. And Jared Kirk, who I mentioned last week, who's the pastor at Renewal Church down in in the Back Bay. I wrote this book called City Faith, which I mentioned last week. I do suggest buying the book. Um, he He says that your priorities are revealed by what you schedule first, 
what you schedule around and what wins in a scheduling conflict. So what you schedule first, what you schedule around and what wins in a scheduling conflict. So let me ask you this, is making time for friends, does it ever change your schedule? Do you ever bend for other people to build, uh, to flex for them to be in your lives? The second barrier is our own stubbornness. We are stubborn people. Look, when I was a kid, it was so easy to make friends. It's like, oh, you like Plato? Me too. Let's be friends forever, right? Because we're like, I don't even know, I don't even like Plato that much. We're just going to play together. That was making a friend when you were a kid. What happened to us? Adulthood. Verse 13, and I do believe this is in the context of loneliness in relationships. It says, better was a poor and wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Adulthood makes us older and more rigid and less willing to try new things, less willing to be flexible, to get out of our comfort zones. It makes it really difficult to be friends. And we see this stubbornness come out in a couple of different ways. One, it comes out in, our, in, the, in the sense of autonomy. We want to be in control of everything at all times. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And so philosopher, uh, there's a philosopher named Charles Taylor who said that every person is what he calls buffered, meaning we've built this wall around ourselves that nobody can get into because our lives are so private and so individualistic. And what's most important to us is our freedom of choice to do what we want when we want. So much so that if another disagrees with us or we don't perfectly get along or we don't like the same things, we can't possibly imagine working through them. And this type of absolute freedom leads to this place where there is a refusal of any and every gift that friendship could offer us. So the sense of wanting to be in control, but secondly, the way that adulthood does this is we don't want to be criticized. I don't know about you, but I don't like being told that I'm wrong. Anybody, anybody like being told that they're wrong? Okay, no. There'll be, there's never hands for that question. No one likes to be told that they're wrong, but the word advice in, chapter, in verse 13 means correction. See, none of us like that, but the problem with that is that if you can't be corrected, you'll, you'll never have good friends. If you can't allow someone to lovingly look at you and say, I think you're walking the wrong way, you don't want a real friend. Because love means being willing to challenge someone. Friendship means being willing to call someone out to the point, not to be mean, but to bear their burdens with them. That takes courage. The third barrier to friendship is unrealistic expectations. Now, I want us to remember that that friendship takes transparency and constancy, consistency and time. Are our expectations allowing for those? There are two ways that we see this. I think one, again, is we expect these things to happen quickly. We often, we often kind of apply a like Disney movie romance to our friendships. We imagine like, did we just become best friends? That's what we imagine. But it takes long, slow, repeated hangouts with people to see friendship happen. We imagine friendship like companionship, that we just hang out with people and do stuff we like. And I think that's the pathway to friendship, but it happens when you push through the tough stuff over time. The other, barrier, other part of unrealistic expectations is that they tend to be really high expectations without grace. We tend to always be mad because others just aren't good enough friends to us. You don't call enough. You don't text enough. You don't spend enough time with me. You don't, you don't consider other people's schedules and lives and responsibility. And inside of that, there is no room for messing up. 
There's no room for, uh, for, 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 for failure. And in fact, if you're listening to this sermon and you're thinking, you know what? Everybody else should be a better friend to me. You're missing the point. How can you be a good friend? Are your expectations too high? Because oftentimes when we have high expectations of others, we have very low expectations of ourselves. All right, so just a few practical steps about friendship, about how we make friends. And again, you can apply this to dating relationships too, but I wanna really think about friendship. Number one is be available and flexible. Be available and flexible with our time, with our schedule. Try to say yes. Try, try to say yes. And look, there are gonna be times in our lives where it's a lot harder to be a friend. It's a lot harder to, uh, to do things, but is your natural reaction just to say no? Be flexible with your schedule. Be willing to do stuff you don't necessarily like that much. This is also about your attitude and your demeanor. Does your attitude and demeanor say, I want to be your friend, or does it look like you're sucking on a lemon? A lot of us have that look on our face where we just don't look very approachable. It's kind of like Debbie Downer on Saturday Night Live. And somebody's like, I just love roller coasters. And you're like, you know, 37 people a year die on roller coasters. Don't be that person. Be available, be flexible. Secondly, engage first. Don't wait to be invited. Why? Because the other person's thinking the exact same thing. They want you to engage first. And how did Jesus love us? He died for us. He came to us first. Thirdly, we invest time. Again, it's not gonna be overnight. It takes repeated, boring, sometimes awkward interactions to build friendships. Fourthly, extend and receive grace. You are going to mess up a ton. You're going to be let down a lot. And we often grow in our friendships when we do so through our failures. And then lastly, I wanna to try to kind of make this easy for you. We're gonna try something. I'm call, we're calling this the friendship initiative. Um, what I want you to do is take your phone out. I want you to text the word friend to 617-958-600. That, that, was, that was a literal take out your phone, not a rhetorical. Take out your phone, text the word friend to 617-958-6008. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna pair you with someone of the same gender, um, and we're just gonna ask you to do, uh, to do this for three weeks. Go out to coffee, go out to ice cream for three weeks. We're gonna give you some conversation starters. At the end of that, if you're like, hey, like we're not gonna be best friends, that's totally okay. Um, but, just, but just do that. And here's the kicker, we'll pay for it. So just do that. We'll pay for your ice cream, pay for your, for your coffee. Don't get too crazy. Don't go like a triple venti, what, like, you know, whatever. Just keep it within reason. Um, we'll pay for it. Send us the receipts, we'll pay for that. I think this is a way we can stoke friendship even within our congregation. But all of this is really meant to point towards something greater. And I don't want us to miss the point of this. All of this, our friendships are meant to point us toward the beauty of our truest friend. This isn't just about practical ways to make friends, but there's something unique about friendship that gets at the gospel because it's a signpost to a greater love and the truest friend that you and I could ever have. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The truest friend that you and I could ever have is Jesus. The truest friend that you and I could ever ask for is Jesus because he shows us what it means to be a friend. He initiated with us first while we were his enemy. He died for us so that we could be his friends. He gave himself for us. He laid his life down for us and he now calls us his friends. And he shows us what it means to be transparent in a friendship because we can intimately know him. And in fact, he says he wants us to know him in the same way that he and the Father are one. But also he's a constant friend. He's a friend who never leaves. He's a friend 
who never forsakes. So that means that in your earthly friendships, when you feel lonely, Jesus is with you. It means when you fail in your earthly friendships, Jesus forgives you and gives you the grace and the humility to go admit when you're wrong. And the question for you this morning is, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you forgotten that Jesus is your friend? The one who walks with you and, 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 and talks with you, the one who wants to draw you to, to himself and see you trust him? Or, or this morning, have you not trusted Jesus yet? This morning, would you say that you've not entered into a relationship with Jesus? And if you've not done so, I wanna invite you to see the type of friend that Jesus is, that he would give his life for you, that he would raise from the dead for you, and that he would call you to himself. And so if that's you this morning, I pray that you would repent of your sins and trust Jesus. Let's pray.